I've seen music kind of work miracles in people's um, uh, ability to uh, to function and ability to experience joy and their ability to communicate emotions with other people. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I lead a caregiver support group in my community, and I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know that laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, oh, Mike. Oh, thanks for reminding me. I got a dual wine run for Wine Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> faith and spirituality are usually very important for caregivers. And faith and spirituality played a very important part in your caregiving journey. Well, it certainly did. As I often tell people, I spend a lot of time crying and a lot of time praying. And one particular instance um, that I feel that I'd like to share today is when things had been going wrong for a very long time, we were pretty far into our journey with dad. And I was praying for days and days and weeks and weeks. Dear God, I need help. Please send help any way you see fit. I need help. And I walked into the hospital and standing in front of dad's hospital room was a social worker who said, Mrs. Carducci, do you need help? And I knew in that moment that my prayers had been answered. And that's when we got um, someone to come in and help on a regular basis. So yes, absolutely. Prayer is very much a part of this journey. And that brings us to today's guest. He's the Director Emeritus of SIDA, a nonprofit organization whose work and mission are to create better emotional and spiritual lives for people with dementia and their care partners. He began rabbinical school the year his grandmother, who had vascular dementia, died. Observing how she became less attached to worrying and more attached to nature, great-grandchildren, other things that she loved, he concluded that having dementia does not preclude having a spiritual life. His rabbinical background includes chaplaincy among older people. We are very pleased to welcome Rabbi Michael Goldman. Good morning, Rabbi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for, for uh, inviting me. You know, um, you were kind enough to invite me to one of your, your Zoom meetings with some, with some elders, and we did some singing together. I would love it if you would share some of that. Uh, what goes on and, and, and what you do with our listeners this morning. Sure. Well, I have to tell you, first of all, that uh, one of the things I left out of my bio is, is that for five years, I worked on a college campus as the campus rabbi. And that means basically that I was a party planner <laughs> for the Jewish community and fellow travelers. And uh, who doesn't love a party more than people with dementia? There's snacks, uh, there's uh, familiar music, there are friendly faces, and there's the opportunity to make a little noise. So the program you attended, Bobby, is um, a Zoom version of a program that we used to run live. It's basically, if you know this term, memory cafe, mm -hmm. it's a memory cafe. And uh, it is um, centered around the American songbook. We play Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra you get a Moon River every once in a while. Uh, and we've developed that playlist just from yes. seeing how people respond. You like that song? Who likes that song? 
and uh, we collect favorites. Sometimes also the, the uh, adult children of the people uh, who are there who have a diagnosis will um, tell us what their parents' record collection had in it and we'll get new songs. One of the things that I noticed when was it brought back memories and they began to share some of their memories it, from that time as well. They definitely did. Um, and so, you know, the bottom line, of course, when it comes to um, people, people, and maybe we can say specifically people with dementia is that people love music. Um, all the more so when uh, the, the music that a person is hearing is um, part of the soundtrack that made their late teen and early adult life uh, more, made it richer. So, you know, the songs that they danced to at their weddings, uh, the songs they rocked out to in the car, all of those songs uh, strike really, really deeply. And I don't know the neurology, but people say uh, that what music does is connect disparate parts of the brain to one another. So talking about the music and as a music therapist, I know this really, really well. Um, what it does is, you know, the early memories and the music of your youth, so to speak, are ingrained from years ago. And with the dementia, it just starts from the outside working in. So what music is able to do is reach in to the inner parts and pull that person back out. And I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary Alive Inside. Um, it talks about that and it shows some amazing examples of what music does to somebody with a dementia or with Alzheimer's that is non-communicative. And the next thing you know, they're dancing and they're singing and they're in the here and now. It's amazing what music does uh, for, the, for the brain. And it also leads, it leads to less medication. Um, and some people that haven't, who use walkers have, been, have actually been seen to push them away. Love that documentary. And, uh, you know, I've seen it. I've seen, and what I mean by seen it is I've seen music uh, kind of work miracles in people's um, uh, ability to, uh, to function and ability to experience joy and their ability to communicate emotions with other people. So um, I would say one of the salient features uh, that makes a memory cafe type experience different from just putting on headphones and listening to, uh, you know, a, 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 an iPod um, uh, soundtrack, you know, uh, a list of hits, which is absolutely fun. And I do it all the time. And we all should have um, in our on our refrigerator a list of the 50 uh, favorite most favorite songs that we went on our playlist when we get um you know start to start to lose our ability to do some of the other um cognitive things um is that music creates the opportunity for people to have experience meaning together and so uh, when folks gather at this table uh, the caregivers irrespective of whether they are relatives or friends or professional, you know, home health aides, everybody has to be a participant. Um, person who's hired is not free at our events to go and sit at a, in a back seat and check their phone and get a little, it's not respite time for anybody. It's really a time for people to be together and um, to um, have a kind of, I guess I'll borrow the term communion in a, in a sort of a secular way. Um, I have to tell you also, the program you saw, Bobby, this is a secular program. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's the music that 
people of a certain age all enjoyed if they lived in the United States uh, at a certain in a certain era. Um, but that program actually, we we kind of it was the translation of a synagogue program that we did. You know, I was a nursing home chaplain for many years, and uh, as nursing home chaplains do, I uh, led and participated in many religious services that were dementia friendly and um, scaled down to the basics in a certain way um, and full of joy in many ways and realized that those services could be very, very meaningful for people who uh, have a dementia who are not living in a nursing home, you know, not in assisted care. And so I basically, what Seva, my organization, did in part, it was the very, very simple thing of taking a nursing home style service and doing it in a synagogue where people could invite their friends and family and be part of a real community. And also where people from the community who are neurotypical could um, hang out with people with dementia and their caregivers. One of the things that we're trying to do through this podcast is to connect with um, communities and that's why I went looking for the dementia rabbi. <laughs> and um, in order to let people in the Jewish community know that we're here and we have resources for them, but also to maybe talk to you a bit about when someone who is of the Jewish faith goes into a uh, memory care facility, um, does someone like you go in and speak to maybe the people that work in there and let them know um, how to be sensitive to Jewish culture? Well, that's not one of the things that um, Seva specifically does. But if there, uh, if um, a four-wall facility has um, the good fortune to have among their team of people doing, I guess I'll call it, it sounds a little technical, but non-medical palliative care, and that means, of course, a music therapist, a motion therapist, perhaps somebody who works with um, with um, art materials, and let's just say a chaplain. All four of those people are doing basically the same work. They're enhancing spirituality. They just had different modes. So, if a person is Jewishly knowledgeable, they should um, they should be able to articulate to the staff uh, what some of the chords are that might. Uh, um, resonate in the mind and memory of somebody with dementia. So there is, sure, there's the, the fact of cultural specificity and that would be the same for anybody. You know, I, I look at the very fancy um, uh, new memory care facilities that try to imitate Main Street America. Uh, and that brings comfort to somebody who grew up on Main Street in America in certain places if they come from the Lower East Side, or they come from, uh, let's say, Ghana, or they uh, came from the other side of the tracks in that same town, their Main Street may not look like that. And so- As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that was brought up. Uh, I was part of a webinar, um, Five Days, 10 Great Ideas, and there was an African-American woman in there and who, who talked about that, um, how Main Street for someone like me would look very different than Main Street for someone like her, and how we need to be aware of the cultural differences. And what we think is Main Street America, is say, in the 1950s, isn't the same for everybody. Right. And when we're talking about people with dementia, 
we're talking about individuals, right? And so even let's just say we have determined that this person was born at a certain year and a certain place and that he or she might like, let's just say Frank Sinatra. Oh, let's get Frank Sinatra. How could you go wrong? So, you know, it might be though that Fly Me to the Moon was the song that she danced to at her wedding and Luck Be a Lady was the song that was playing when that boy she really liked dumped her. You know, <laughs> we're so, our, our musical tastes and our preferences are so individual that you really have to get down to it and start thumbing through a person's record collection in order to know, you know, look for the, the most dog-eared um, album in there to really know what uh, a person likes. And so um, we, should all be, we should all be culturally and individually sensitive all the time. And that's kind of the, um, that's the deep research that is uh, necessary. And uh, when, when we're, we're encountering somebody with dementia, if we don't know their, their history. So just one little caveat too about the Jewish thing, the Jewish faith. My, my grandmother, like probably 60 or 70% of American Jews was a cultural Jew. She didn't go to synagogue. If I had tried singing Jewish music to her, like religious music, uh, when she was deep into her dementia, she would have wheeled herself out of the room. She liked other things. And so we have to, one, just when we're talking about Jewish, recognize that Jew Jewish defines a civilization, not just a religion. It contains the religion, but some people identify Jewishly through food and language. And, you know, it's a, it's a national identity. It's an excellent point, and it, it's just as true, I think, for Catholics as it, as it is for people of the Jewish faith. I'd also like you to talk about uh, what I saw on the website was the um, Dementia Minions. A minion is, a, is a, a quorum of people praying together. We called our Shabbat service the one that we basically transported from a uh, assisted care type environment out to a regular old synagogue. We called it Memory Minion. Uh, kind of non-committal uh, name. It does commit to people being in a minion, though, which means being with each other. And so, uh, again, like it is in our secular programs, we we invited people to come, um, irrespective of whether they have a diagnosis or not. It's not a clinical kind of uh, activity. It's a social one. I remember, and so, but we would deliberately bring volunteers, invite volunteers to spend time with people with dementia. The big secret, of course, for Seva uh, was that the work we were doing was not really so much um, having the volunteers serve the people with dementia and you know make their lives a little more pleasant. It really was to educate the neurotypical volunteer not to be afraid of the person with dementia, to understand that they have fun, that they have deep emotions, that they can uh, experience and express profundity and that a person with dementia, if allowed to be in the community and accepted in that community, has spiritual offerings to give to the rest of us. So if it, anybody who's spent any amount of time around somebody with dementia has um, some memories of those beautiful glimmering moments where um, the person with dementia uh, because of their lack of inhibition or because of the way that their brain has been rewired uh, speaks some kind of truth that um, only becomes apparent once 
the neurotypical person kind of gives in. So, you know, my grandmother, just to give one example, um, I was wheeling her around in, in the outside of her, her place. It was kind of a cold day. She said, I need, honey, I need a new, I thought, hmm, well, she needs a new something. It's probably clothing because it's cold out. And that's about the only thing she has anymore. Is it shoes, grandma? She said, uh, no. Okay. Is it socks? No. Is it pants? No. It's more beautiful than that, she said to me. And I realized, oh, she's not wearing her glasses. Her glasses are the thing that makes life beautiful. So what she was really saying is, I am in awe of the beauty I see around me just in this little courtyard that you wheeled me around in. What a moment. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you can't, a philosopher can't reach that deep in 20 pages, well thought out over months, as she did just by missing her glasses. That's, and, and what a great moment. Now, you mentioned a couple times about the album collection. Of course, mm -hmm. that dates us all because we know what an album is. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, what's on your album list should you need some music there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I should be embarrassed to admit this, but I'm a punk rock kid. You know, I huh. was uh, late 70s and early 80s. Very, very simple, very uh, clangy, bangy, idiotic music. The Ramones, The Clash, you know, this is, this is what's on my playlist. There are other things too. But, you know, if somebody asks me, do you, uh, do you like jazz? I have to s kind of think to myself, that's too hard for me to understand. <laughs> Give yeah. me like three chords. You're in sync with Bobby there. Um, <laughs> now, uh, being a musician, I appreciate all forms of music, um, uh, except for that really um, gangster rap uh -huh. stuff where it's talking about violence and, and, and those type of things and, and the N-word and so on and so, so forth. So I, that, I take it from that you don't like Beowulf because that's a really, really violent, or, or the Iliad. It's, I can't even read it, so much violence. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let me, I forgot the, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the Bible, <laughs> hard well, also, sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of hold that music at arms, yeah. double arms length, yeah. but jazz and gospel, uh -huh. And um, uh, rock, obviously, I mean, the Beatles, my, my playlist begins and ends with the Beatles. Uh -huh. And we, don't, we can go way beyond 50 with the Beatles. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the 60s music, the 70s music is, is for me. And jazz, I could just sit and I could get lost in jazz because I get it. And I play it. So um, it's, it's just a fun thing. I just wanted to see what was on your playlist. Uh, yeah, you know, and it does get really specific, you know, this certain album by this certain group that I saw in concert when I was 22 and um, is, has been forgotten otherwise. You know, and, and yeah, the, the um, music that speaks to us speaks to our quirks and also where we, where we were when. Exactly. Um, and in some ways that we have no control over it, you know, the, the. I actually put together a playlist that, uh, of songs that I wanted Mike to know related to how I felt about him. 
Wow. This, this brings up, Bobby, this brings up a really, really important point about, well, I guess the, the topic of the day is dementia and spirituality. And I'm talking to two experienced caregivers and we're on a podcast for caregivers. And that's really that what we're talking about is relationships between people. You know, there is the music itself. And like we talked about earlier, putting on the headphones and just being able to rock out and, and being that blissful state with one's playlist. But there are these, um, you know, music is just something that, that is best communally experienced. And um, that's part of the mission and work of my organization. It was to, um, to bring people together. And, and it, it's hard for me to conceive of a definition of spirituality without that communal aspect. Well, the first, the first song that I, that I put on that play was, list was To Know Him Is To Love Him. <laughs> and, um, and then for our 25th wedding anniversary, we renewed our vows and our wedding song was God Gave Me You. So that list goes between from that to, you know, to know him is to love him to God gave me you. Uh, but there's there was some rock and roll in there, too. Yes, there was. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, that was a very, was and is a very sentimental gift of these are songs that spoke to her about me. And she gave that gift to me. And um, it's a wonderful thing. And any listeners out there. If you're looking for something to give to the person that has everything plus 10%, <laughs> if you do something like that, you'd be surprised what that does for the person. And um, it, it was just a, a gift that still to this day is very cherished. Can you imagine living in a world where um, you're driving down the road and the billboards that you see are not advertisements for like, you know, ambulance chasers or or whatever, but our um, exhortations for all of us to make a playlist and give it to um, the person that we love and say, these are songs that I picked out for you and that you can play for me down the road. That's wonderful. And it doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a parent. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Music is such a wonderful gift. Yeah. You know, I, Rabbi, I'm glad that you that you just said what you did because I would think that should I get dementia and Mike play that for me, it would bring back my memories of him, and what a gift that would be to me. Absolutely. Hmm. And also, I think it's important to um, acknowledge that music in general moves us. You know, we uh, in the um, in both the religious and the secular communal programs we do, have started little by little introducing new music, and we make it sort of our 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 playlist. Um, we have a couple of uh, YouTube videos that we have video songs that we've incorporated into the uh, routine memory minion uh, that are religious in nature, but they're new compositions. And they're woven into the rest of the, um, the, the familiar um, order of prayers. Um, so that 
tells me something about music, which is that it's not just the deep stuff that, that we have um, memories associated with, that people with dementia are capable of making meaning and finding uh, sources of communion and comfort uh, in the new as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I should also, I just want to mention one more component that um, we see as really necessary for, for people with dementia sitting at a table with um, their care partners. And that's the opportunity to reflect. So in other words, we're not just a sing-along. Um, we'll use the lyrics of uh, a piece of music to... Um, articulate important thoughts or especially positive emotions like you know we do uh nat king cole right love love is all that, that i can bring to uh, you yeah, 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 this yeah. music is not familiar to me as i said i was a rock and roll kid and so we'll turn have people turn to each other and say you know t tell me who you love or tell me what, what love is and we'll even write poems based on that i'll collect a line from each person and then We'll, I'll, I'll recite that and have them recite it with me. So we're, we're, we're creating meaning for each other and for ourselves as we, as we listen to the music. Or, uh, you know, listening to, oh, what a beautiful morning. And there's this wonderful line, oh, the sounds of the earth are like music. And uh, my partner in all of this, Sally Shore Wittenberg, who's a chaplain and a rabbi of a community in upstate New York, um, she got people to make the sounds of nature using their hands and their, their, their voices. And so we drummed on the table for uh, the sound of thunder and we whistled for the sound of birds. And we created our kind of own, own um, exploration of the outside while inside a building that made us all feel very kind of connected to the earth. Um, and so, in a sense, we wrote our own Oh, What a Beautiful Morning together, uh, although we were sitting in a room together around a table with uh, coffee cake. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful idea, something I never thought of, and I'll, I'll probably lift it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the idea. It's, um, it's amazing. I, you, you, that's the beautiful thing of, of doing these podcasts is you learn so much um, not only the listeners learn, but Bobby and I learn, and it allows us to turn around and take it back when we're out her as a CCE, a certified caregiving educator. Well, I think um, that you as a, as, a, as a music therapist, you know, and I mean, I think this is the art of being a caregiver too, is you, you learn to improvise and you just say, hey, I can take <laughs> that and that might work over here. And it's also low tech, right? It's like, <laughs> okay, let's, let's drum our hands on the table and let's use our voices, you know, like well, you said, Bobby, that can be cheaper than psych meds. And, Absolutely. And, and I'm, a, Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of low-tech solution to high-tech problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so while the research is important, and, uh, you know, God forbid that we should cut off um, efforts to fund a pharmaceutical cure for Alzheimer's disease, we have to recognize that brains are complicated and people are complicated, but sometimes a, a simple song can break through and do wonderful things. And so the, the work we're doing as caregivers is that's the work we're doing now. And that's what's making people's lives better right now, not, you know, 25 years 
if we're lucky um, from now. Well, when I think of what used to happen when it came to people with dementia, where the advice was to make sure you got them oriented to time and place and people <laughs> would stand in front of them with a calendar and insist what day and year it was and make sure that they brought them back to a place that was foreign to them. So, yeah. Let me tell you one of my big influences. This came to me through a wonderful organization called Caring Kind in New York City that is a... Um, an organization that is there for caregivers, and that's it's, it's that's everything it does. Um, they um, presented a, some research that they had done through a an assisted care place, memory care place in Phoenix, Arizona, called Beatitudes, a group of nuns. I don't know what order, who a number of years ago, in the midst of um, you know back when people thought it was a good idea that everybody in the dementia ward, as it was called back then, should eat breakfast at 7.30 in the morning because you have to remember 7.30, that's going to keep you in reality. And that's going to somehow, you know, oh <laughs> stem the flood of uh, dementia overtaking the person. If we can just get them in the room at 7.30 to have their scrambled eggs. And, uh, you know, of course, people were rebelling because, uh, you know, this person would throw the eggs on the wall and this person would insult the, uh, the, um, the floor worker and, you know, a lot of food would get uneaten. And then one of these nuns thought about this for a minute and said, you know what, I, I'm a late sleeper. I don't like to eat breakfast till 10. And then somebody else chimed in and said, yeah, you know, I'm a night owl. Somebody else said, I'm an early riser. I'm, I'm done with breakfast at 5.30. Hey, what if we gave these people with dementia options the way that we the rest of us have options and so they started wheeling around a food cart are you hungry and you know they do it every hour three in the morning and there'd be people up walking the hall sunsetting sundowning and lo and behold people started eating they were happier they were less uh, difficult for the staff they were wasting less food everybody was happier because they realized oh these people are all individuals and they like to eat different foods at different times. No big deal. So how did I get started on that tangent? Well, it, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting tangent uh, because my dad was very, um, if you remember the movie Rain Man, everything had to be at a specific time. And if the mailman was 10 minutes late, my dad was pacing, wondering what was going on? Why was the mail late? And so it's it's 4.30, it's time for dinner. And he was ready to have dinner. And so to take him out of that routine, if he would have been in a care facility, would have been absolutely disastrous. Wow. And because he wouldn't have been able to handle it. So did he go by his watch or did he go by the sun or what? It was It was by his watch. In fact, to the point where, you know, he was so regimented and so afraid of missing a deadline that, say, for instance, he liked to have his evening meal at four in the afternoon. So he would come down at 10 minutes to four to make sure that he was in place at four o'clock. So then the regular time became 10 minutes to four. So then he would come down at 20 minutes to four to make sure that he was in the, and he kept rolling things back. And then I would have to bring him back to, you know, something that made sense because he, he was so afraid of being late that he always had to be early. And it was so funny because even on the times where um, he was a couple minutes early, like say the 10 to four and the food was ready, he would eat. 
And then he would go to go back up to his, his room. We had a nice little suite set up for him. He had a, a living room upstairs. He had his bedroom and he had his own bathroom. So it was kind of like a little apartment upstairs. And he would go to go up the steps and he would look at his watch and it would be 4.05 and he would say, oh, it's dinner time. I have to eat. And it had nothing to do with he wasn't hungry. It had to do with what was on the, on the watch. Wow. And, and so uh, Bobby would say, well, were you still hungry? He says, no, I'm not hungry, but it's, it's dinner time. It's time to eat. So you bring out a little snack or something or whatever. Uh, but even something like that where uh, so, so taking him out of that routine uh, and say 7 o'clock you have to this and 12 o'clock and, and 5 o'clock would have been absolutely disastrous for him because he was so set in his ways. The, um, as Bobby calls it, the stubborn old Italian disease. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, yeah. he was very regimented by the clock. So, you know, um, institutions are now adopting these, um, these rubrics like uh, person centered care. That's one way of describing it. And I think really, I mean, this is very, very good, uh, and it always in, involves a, a, an investment of a lot of time. You have to you have to understand the person. That, so when when your dad comes, you have to understand that he's Mr. Carducci here. He's he's really um, he's very fond of his watch, and you should know that this is what he did for a living, and he's very precise. And you know, and um, it takes time, and it's a drag for the staff. But boy, are their lives going to be easier? And what they're essentially doing is taking over some of the, the mindset of the caregiver, the personal, you know, family caregiver, right. um, who understands who this person is as a human being first. Although they don't have the uh, person is not as able to push their buttons as say, you know, my mom <laughs> would be <laughs> if I had to take care of her. Yeah, I've spoken to a number of uh, professional caregivers who work in in care homes, who thought you when it occurred to one of their family members that they knew exactly what to do and then found out it's very different when it's somebody in your family because the relationships are different. At the same time, there's the, there's the opposite side of this that sometimes, uh, and you know, this, the, the, the family caregiver comes into their role very, very gradually with baggage, right? With so many, so many, um, ossified expectations and unfulfilled desires and idea that this is who mom is. I, if, if I can pinpoint one moment where I kind of realized that there was a big gap in the lives of um, people with dementia in terms of being understood, it actually came because of a caregiver who for very understandable reasons had kind of given up. Um, I was at um, a, a, a I was a baby rabbi. I was in my second year of rabbinical school and I was doing a summer internship at a, a large Jewish nursing home in New York. And I came on a Sunday because that's when the kids come, you know, the adult kids. And so I met the, um, the daughter of a, a woman who uh, was really, really in an advanced stage of dementia. She could no longer speak. She didn't open her eyes. I knew that she was, she liked to eat, you know, if, a, if a, one of the, um, care providers put a spoon up to her mouth, she would, you know, she would open her mouth and chew. 
so I met her daughter and told me this amazing story. Her mother had come from Europe. She was a Holocaust survivor, had come to America as a young adult, had made her way in the fashion industry from the, you know, cutting fabric in the, the garment district all the way up. But now she's dead. That's what she told me. Like my mother, my mother, she doesn't hear us right now. She's physically alive, but she's, she's dead. And I was distraught by this. And I went to my, uh, my mentor there uh, by Simon Hirshhorn and asked him what I should do. I didn't want to challenge the daughter, but I wanted somehow to refute for myself what the daughter had said. He said, talk to her in Yiddish. You know, if she's traditional, do a traditional prayer. So I, I, I did that. <laughs> you know, I sidled up to her and said, you know, uh, it's, time to, it's time to say the Shabbos prayers. The, all the siblings are here. The, the, the grandfather and the grandmother are here. Let's, let's light the candles together. And um, she started turning red and shaking. Looked like she was holding her breath. And I, I knew that she was responding to me because there was no other stimulus around her at that moment. Like she was having a strong reaction. I kind of started freaking out. And so I, I ran to get a one of the, the floor nurses or CNA and um, she said, oh yeah, Mrs. Schwartz, whatever her name was. She always does that when she gets excited. She turns red like that. So in other words, at this moment, the CNA knew more about Mrs. Schwartz, who she is right now than her daughter did. I mean, that's wow. devastating, but that was mm -hmm. the reality because she didn't have the baggage. And so, you know, given who mom was, she's now dead. It was just like, okay, here's another person. Here's what they like. Here's what they don't like. Let's deal with them now. Well, it's it's wonderful that you were able to reach in and do that. And um, uh, I want to say shame on the daughter, but again, it's baggage. It's years of, of baggage. Um, well, your perceptions of the person, especially if it's a parent, if you knew them when they were young and healthy and they were the one in charge and all of a sudden that image is gone you don't have any frame of reference yeah. for who they are yeah now. and the, the ambiguous loss is really really hard you know that at some point we have to you know that daughter had a right to, to basically to start mourning her mother's death earlier than her biological death i, I give her that i've you know there's this this jewish prayer that people say in memory of the dead it's called kaddish and i've heard a couple of caregivers say that They've been sitting in synagogue, and when they announce it's time for Kaddish, the, the, they want to stand up and say it, and then they have to refrain because they realize, oh, yeah, well, Dad's still alive. Um, and uh, that's a really, really difficult uh, place to be in uh, where your loved one is both there and not there. So, um, you know, I, I get what that I, – I, I want to I understand what that daughter was going through. Yes. Wow. Um, it's been – uh, an enlightening episode for me. Uh, I've had a couple of aha moments here that you've given me. Um, I certainly thank you so, so very, very much for coming on the show. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it. It's been a pleasure and I'm, I'm enthralled with what you do and I'm, I'm going to become a podcast regular after listening to, uh, Good. listening to, Glad to hear that. Roger that. Well, um, what we're going to do is we're going to put up the, your information, uh, the information about Seva, 
uh, on, the, on the show's website. So there will be links back to that. Um, so maybe you'll get some more um, uh, uh, participants. But uh, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Well, he certainly gave us a lot to think about today. He sure did. Um, the, the interesting thing um, for me, or an aha moment for me, was when he was talking about dementia minions. And I've always heard the term minions used in a more negative term. Like, oh, that's one of the minions, meaning they're, they're the work. Oh, the Disney, the Disney minion? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I was actually... That's a different minion. I'm talking about just in professional life. That oh they're they're just one of the minions meaning they really they're, they're beneath us so to speak but his yeah, well, this is his um, talking about a dementia minion or a memory minion is people praying together or just being with each other and supporting each other um, kind of gave me a little bit of an aha moment and a little different uh, mind mind change. Uh, as far as what a minion was, so to speak. Um, the first thing, the first note that I took was to have a list of your favorite songs on your refrigerator. Um, for you, that would be easy. For me, it's it's more difficult because I know I like a song when I hear it, but I don't necessarily keep a running tab of of, of what I like most. Well, but that would that would be an interesting exercise. Well, I'll just put up a picture of the Beatles, <laughs> 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 and and you can pick any fifty from there. You know that. Um, uh, one of the other things he said that I liked was um, that facilities are now looking at person centric care, and that's really really important. That you look at the individual as opposed to everybody do something at the same time and trying to pull them into the here and now. Like you say all the time, they can't come to where we are. We have to go to where they are. And and, and we've, we've seen that in some of the facilities that we've visited mm -hmm. where they have the little workshops. They have the French cafe. They have the, the baby nursery. They have the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel enlightened. <laughs> Well, good. Good. Um, and I, I'm glad that I found him. Yes, indeed. Um, you can find more information about Rabbi Goldman on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.